Happy Thursday, everyone. It's Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays, and I'm your host, Brooke Hammerling. Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays. God, it's Thursday. It's December. What is the date on Thursday? I'm I'm in the time machine. So we're talking today's Thursday, December 7th. I just watched a TikTok where this, I, I'm really starting to become relate to Gen Z, which is really scary. I mean, not all of them, not the far left Gen Z, but the Gen Z who is like, please don't email me. It's December. Like work is done. Like I am checked out. I don't have the capacity. I am on holiday. It is holiday season. I am focused on Christmas and Hanukkah gifts. So please leave me alone. Don't give me projects. Don't email me. Let's not do Zooms. <laughs> that is where my brain is. And it's, it's four o'clock. It was 80 degrees today in Los Angeles. It's Tuesday in the time machine. It's 80 degrees. And I was like, I want to go to the beach and buy stocking stuffers. Like I'm so confused. This is my brain is not, is not processing it, but I can tell you, I love my clients so much. I love you, but there, there, it's struggle. Like I have to really motivate to get all my work done. And I don't know if you guys feel that way, but like, this has been a year. This has been a freaking year. This is my last holiday season in my forties, which is so weird. Age is weird. Age is a, is a, is a thing. I still feel like I'm 23. I still act like I'm 23. I still talk like I'm 23. I still sleep like I'm 23. So it's just, just whizzing on by, but it's the holiday season and, um, it's a different one uh, for a lot of us. And I got to say today I am so pissed off Again, this is not a political podcast. This isn't a social justice podcast. This isn't a pro-Israel, anti-Palestine podcast, because that is not what I am. I am pro-democracy, and I am pro-not killing and kidnapping and murdering people. Um, I am pro-defending yourself when you have been attacked. So that's where I stand. I've been pretty clear on that front. But today we witnessed the, God, you know, and this sucks as a woman, this sucks. Cause how many times people have asked me, like, what do you think would, would, if all of the world's leaders were women, would we be in a different position? And for the longest time I was like, totally, we're amazing. Women are amazing. We don't want war. We, we will get along. First of all, who am I kidding? The meanest bitches in the world are my girlfriends. <laughs> like when they're mad at you, watch out. Me too. Vindictive. We are vicious. We lose our heads. And for the the head of the heads of two prestigious universities, University of Pennsylvania with a Ms. Elizabeth McGill and the head president of Harvard University, a Ms. Claudine Gay. These women are horrendous. And I'm just going to say that it doesn't matter that they have vaginas, don't care. They could be whatever they want to be. They could identify as whatever the fuck they want to identify as. But I can honestly say this, I identify them as cunts. And I say that, I hope you can't, do I need to be blipped, David? This is a like, do I need a, uh, do I need a warning label? But I rarely use that word. It's such a good word. It is a good word, but that's what they are. And 
So today at a congressional hearing, they were being questioned. Um, there's a lot going on, but these two in particular, there's a bunch of clips, but there, these two in particular were, quest- were questioned about whether or not calling for the genocide of Jews on campus was considered a punishable offense. Like that was out of the code of conduct. And both of these women, whilst smirking, I might point that out. So, uh, you guys need to find it. It's all over. And um, we're going to play, we're going to play a clip in a minute, but you can't see the smirking until you watch the clip. You can't set, but you can sense it. Just listen to them talking with the knowledge that they're smirking. When they say, they both say they cannot, that it's only a punishable offense, basically, if it is sort of acted on. So they have basically what they're trying to say is that students have the right to say whatever they want, but if it's acted upon, then it becomes something they can, you know, punish as a, as a school. And the, the Congresswoman is like, acted upon? Like, do you mean the actual genocide of Jews then? Like, that's what we're talking about? Like, you're out of your fucking mind. You know what? I don't even want to talk about it. Let's roll it. At Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking specifically calling for the genocide of Jews. Does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. If the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment. This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric, when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct, and we do take action. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. Yeah. It's pop culture because it's gone everywhere and everyone is talking about it. And it's, um, 
It's so crazy that this is the way that we're living. And these are the heads of two of the most prestigious institutions. And in fact, my parents met at University of Pennsylvania, a Quaker school, by the way. But my parents, um, my dad was raised Jewish. My mother was raised knowing she was Jewish, but with not being Jewish. But they both they just weren't identifying in their Jewishness at the time, so much so that I didn't know we were Jewish until much later in my life, as I've talked about here. But my parents met in this very uh, beautiful setting of University of Pennsylvania in 1957. And my mom was just 17 years old and my dad was like 25 and 24. He was a law student. She was an undergrad and they fell madly in love. Now, as much as my parents moved away from their Jewish roots, it's very much a sign of the times. They were product of World War II and they were led to believe and had that belief system that the only way to be successful was to sort of identify as being a wasp in that moment in time. It's wild if you can imagine. Now, all of my dad's friends were Jewish guys, so I'm not quite sure where his head was at, but um, they would have been they would have been outraged. They would have been outraged by what is happening today. And my grandfather, which, you know, you might say to me, Brooke, how did you not realize that your grandfather, Larry Lesser, who is like very Jewy, is like so amazingly, like right out of central casting Jewish grandfather, went to Harvard Law. And he worked for the Roosevelt administration and worked really diligently on helping get Jews out of Nazi-occupied countries during World War II. He'd be outraged. Like this is, you know, the amount of Jewish brilliance that has come out of these two institutions to only be thrown to the wolves by these crazy bitches is um, baffling to me. And I hope they get fired. I hope the board and the boards, I know people on both of the boards, like I, and they're Jewish and I don't understand, like, I don't understand where the disconnect is like this freedom of speech has to have a limit when you're calling the incitement of violence, which when you call like for a genocide of any kind, of any kind, for any group of people, that is an act. How is that okay? I don't understand. I truly don't understand. But let's move on to more fun things, shall we? It is just me. Last week we had the wonderful and beautiful and Harvard graduate and Jewish woman, Britt Morgan Sachs on. And I'm very excited because Britt is coming out to Los Angeles. So uh, I'm going to see her very, very soon. But another big topic this week actually was inspired by Britt. Britt is the mother of, um, she has three children, but two of her two oldest are these amazing, gorgeous, beautifully talented young women who I think are like 12 and 13, uh, at this point. And Britt was like, do you even understand what I'm dealing with on a daily basis? And when she told me, it really tracked with what I see on TikTok. So it wasn't just, it's not just my singular experience in my For You page. It's truly generational thing. And that is this 12-year-old not only is asking for things like Van Cleef and Arpel necklaces, which are thousands of dollars, or NARS lipstick and cheek stains, which are $60, $70 a pop, they have them. 
like they're able to secure. They are, this is, this is a difference. And I guess I didn't really touch on it because I think it's just sort of coming to me. This is the difference between the generations. So I'm not suggesting that Gen X, we didn't want the cool, expensive brands. I mean, it was slightly different. The idea of beauty, beauty and makeup was cheap. That was never, there was not this luxury beauty and makeup when I was growing up in the eighties. It was Noxema. It was, um, Seabreeze where you're literally putting alcohol on your face, like astringent and burning the layer of skin off of you. And that's like $8 at your local drugstore. We did like luxury brands. So, you know, Benetton, Esprit, CB, I think North Face was, yeah, we had North Face puffer jackets when I was in high school, Timberland, Tiffany, obviously. That was very luxe. And and guest jeans, my God, I remember the torture. I went to an all-girls Catholic school for the first 14 years of my life, 13 years of my life, where we wore uniforms. So when I switched to a co-ed school that didn't have uniforms, I had a lot of catching up to do. And my parents did not meet me where I needed them to meet me. They did not understand. They were from a different generation. My brother and sister were from a different generation. They did not understand that in order for me to fit in, and not be ostracized, which I was ultimately because my parents did not buy into this mindset. I needed to have the cool shit. I could not wear Lee jeans. I needed to have the guest jeans or the Cavaricci. And I couldn't wear like plain t-shirts. I needed to have Benetton or Esprit. I mean, it's just, you know, I remember the big thing was fake Rolexes, not real Rolexes, but the fake cool Rolexes from Chinatown. It was also regional. Like I think what was cool in New York was very different than what was cool in Miami and what was cool in Los Angeles because social media didn't let these things spread. It would be like maybe a, a universal coolness would come up in Seventeen magazine or something like that. But the coveted items of my generation in my my town in New York and, and sort of who I knew in that world were the Tiffany jewelry, the sterling silver Tiffany uh, bean, the little Tiffany bean and the like bracelets. There was a series of bracelets that were silver with like a little bit of gold on the ends. That was like a little hook that you could clip and they were different ones. These were coveted. Now, they are expensive, obviously, but not the level of, I mean, they're silver. So it would be like a couple hundred dollars. We're not talking thousands of dollars. The only way to procure those were if your parents gave them to you or somebody gave them to you, whether it was a sweet 16 or a bat mitzvah or a very loving grandparent. My grandparents didn't give me shit. They gave me stock, which turned out to be great by the way. But you don't think of it as great when you're 13 and you're excited for a present and they give you a piece of paper that says IBM on it. But hey, I have a house now. So thanks, grandma. That is the only way to procure those things. There was no me taking my money and going to Tiffany's. There was no Amazon and getting dupes, like really high end dupes. It didn't, it didn't exist. These kids at 12 years old, like come home with NARS makeup and all of this like high end products from Ulta or Sephora, generally Ulta. That's the, that's the cool kids place. And 
Brit and other mothers are like, what the fuck? Where did that come from? They save money. They grab change. They find it. They probably steal from their parents' pocketbooks and wallets. They, they are able to procure cash. These kids have the cash. They also, incidentally, have access to your phone and your iPads or whatever and those family accounts. So they're swiping and you don't know until it's too late. They have figured it out, whether they're buying games, whether they're getting Ubers, whether they're getting food delivered or whether they're buying a ton of shit on Amazon. I bet you, if you're a parent, you're like, oh God, that keeps happening to me. And you punish them and you take away their phones and they say they'll never do it again, but it's an addiction. Of course they'll do it again. They're going to do it again and again and again. So that's the difference. I mean, I didn't have the audacity to take money out of my mother's wallet. I And if I did, and I arrived home with some high-end product, my mother would be like, drag me back to the store accusing me of stealing it. Like there'd be no way in my life that I would have a hundred dollars as a 12 year old. It just doesn't. So that's the difference. Gen Z has figured that shit out, whether, whether they earned it or procured it or swiped for it. These kids are getting it. And, um, there's a really funny guy on TikTok who is just roasting his daughter's Christmas lists. We'll, we'll play one. My daughter's Christmas list. And what the fuck? At first look, this is just a hoodie. And you're probably like, oh, it's a hoodie. What's he going to say about that? Well, number one, my daughter doesn't skateboard. Number two, the last time I got a frog near her, she ran away screaming to the point where it looked like I was trying to kidnap her. I don't want to pay 40 bucks so she can be a poser. She is nine years old. How in the fuck did she end up on Zales? I'm a grown man and can't find Zales half the time. And I have a hard time believing that her love of ducks extends to black diamonds in a white gold setting. Who's the buyer at Zales that went, yeah, we need more duck rings. She wants an oversized beanbag chair. Number one, her room's not that big. I don't know if she's trying to replace her floor. Not to mention that my dogs will look at this as the biggest fucking chew toy to ever hit planet Earth. She wants some sort of dead duck weapon. I'm not really sure how this thing's used. The description is the most aggravating part. Cute duck goose swan plushie. Pick a fucking foul. Also, why is it dead? Why can't we have a live goose? So, I mean, there are countless ones. Like he goes through it. This particular one I just thought was funny because it's like the Zales. Like this, if you see the ring, it's like black diamonds. It's so funny. And she's like, he has two daughters. One's nine, one's 15. Both of them have preposterous lists. And, you know, he just annihilates them over and over and over again. There's like, why does my nine-year-old daughter need a lip tint? Like, it's hilarious. And he's speaking for, I think, you know, all of these people with kids at that, at that age, but it's, it's, I call them preteens, teens, and young adults. Cause it, you know, goes up the spectrum. If you watched uh, you know, rush talk back in the beginning of the year, the fall, you know, the girls from Alabama Rush Talk, they're like, this is Cartier, this is Van Cleef and Arpel, this is Golden Goose, this is Amazon. They, they they do high-low well, but like Cartier, Van Cleef, like they're not saying Van Cleef dupes. They're saying Van Cleef. Now we don't know. They're carrying Goyard bags. They're carrying Gucci bags. I mean, 
I remember when my mom gave me the Kate Spade bag. And if anybody is my generation, you remember Kate Spade came out onto the scene, RIP, rip Kate Spade. But she came out on the scene at that sort of moment when I was in high school. So early nineties. And it was this like black box of a bag. It's very sort of Steve Madden-esque. And if you if I recall, it was probably very cheaply made. It felt like two pieces of cardboard, but with this black sort of, mm, it's a little bit shiny ribbed, like almost like a ribbon. Like if you had a big black ribbon in your hair, you know, that material, like satiny kind of. And it was just this black box with these two black straps and then just the Kate Spade like logo, like little tag, right? That was like a little rectangular tag right in the sort of where the straps would be attached to the bag itself. And it was just a box. There was no pockets. There was no zipper. It had a little snap, came in multiple sizes. There's a really big one, then the medium size one, then the small, then the teeny. And like, I got one and they must've been like $250, which was excessive at that time. But I remember getting one when I was in high school, I think a senior, and it was like the greatest thing I have ever, I mean, I coveted it. I coveted it. I walked around with my water bottle in it and threw my car keys in it and my gum and my Snapple and I'd have a pen in there. And, you know, it was just like God's, there was no high-end lipstick. I had, you know, lip gloss or Carmax from the pharmacy. Come on but I had that bag. If I came home at 16, 17 and asked my parents for a $1,200 bag, my parents would have gotten me a psychiatrist. I mean, I'm not even joking. It's not, it's not, I don't know how the kids are doing today or the parents in that regard. So I, um, but I put a list out on the newsletter sort of of what the brands are and what kids like. And I got a few notes from people thanking me and, and some of them, one in particular, I'm not going to call her out because in case her kids are listening and they'll know what they got for Christmas. But one of my friends was like, I immediately got the dupe of, of this brand. Thank you so much. What a great idea. My daughter will love the dupe. So there you go. Check out the newsletter for all of the tips and tricks of what your kids are wanting, whether you want to buy them the real thing, whether you want to buy them the dupes, or whether you want to tell them absolutely never going to happen, get another fantasy. It's yours to choose, but your wallet is is going to be on fire either way. Like Because if they don't get any of these things, they're going to ask for something else. They're going to stream. They're going to buy things on Netflix and Amazon, like Godspeed, God speed to you. And that's, that's my rant for, for most of this week is just how much everything is costing. Another thing that I covered off on, which I thought was really interesting. We talked a little bit about it. Just, I just mentioned rush talk, but there is another kind of rush talk this week. And this one was amazing. And I have to say, completely new to me. And I also heard from a couple of friends who were like, oh my God, I can't believe you covered this. And that is these African-American sororities from HBCUs, which are historically black colleges and universities. And these videos started coming out that were incredible because they are completely the opposite of what we've been fed with Alabama, which is like all the girls and they're like cowboy 
and they're singing hip hop and they're doing these shimmying dances and they're showing off their clothes. This is the biggest antithesis to that. It's the only thing I can say. And it was the first introduction I had to AKAs, which is Alpha Kappa Alpha. And that is the first black Greek system sorority. So using the Greek letters and it was formed out of Howard University in 1908. I put the history in the newsletter. It's fascinating. I mean, 1908, you know, think about it. We didn't even have women's rights, let alone the the rights of African-Americans. It's so crazy. And they had a sorority led by this incredible woman who went on to have a 40 year teaching career. Could you imagine in education? Like I would like to learn from her. But these women are very disciplined. They are incredibly serious and passionate about this organization. And there, there are many other black sororities, but this particular one, AKA, is obviously the oldest. I think it is the largest. It is very sought after. I have a lot of friends who came and let me know that they were members of it and we're really delighted to see it covered in PCM. But they sing this song and it's, it's haunting. It gives you chills and they wear the exact same outfit. And it's very, all of them, from what I've seen in all the different universities, there's some take on that outfit. And one, one university... They're wearing very simple black dresses. They're all wearing the exact same black shoe with a little strap. And then they all wear these pink like handkerchiefs around their heads tied under their neck, like in a very sort of throwback uh, way. And they're all uniformed and they're all dancing in a line in sync, like nobody's business. And the AKA have their song and I'm not going to read it all, but just to give you a little bit of the lyric and they do it in a chant. Like it feels it's haunting, but beautiful through the years as we struggle with main and with might to capture a vision fair. There is one thing that spurs us to victory's height with a fellowship sincere and rare. Oh, Alpha Kappa Alpha, dear Alpha Kappa Alpha, hearts that are loyal and hearts that are true, by merit and culture we strive and we do. It gives me chills right now. And it's these women are, I don't know, I'm sure there's always negatives to sororities and all of these things, but for what's being put out on social is great. And it actually first came to my attention because I had never seen the black sororities do things very different than the non-black sororities. Not to say that those other sororities don't have black women or Jewish women or people of color, but these are at HBCUs. 
was Angelina Jolie's daughter, um, I think Zahara, and she's Seth Spellman. And I believe she herself has joined Alpha Kappa Alpha. And there is a clip of her calling out, like they all know each other's names and they all shout each other's names. And she shout out her name and where she was from and the pride that comes through these young women's voices and the strength and the power that they wield when they stand out for themselves and speak is just it's incredible. It's like the opposite of the other sororities, which is like no individuality. You have to be just like everybody else. And you have to, you know, you have to toe the line. I feel like these are different. And considering the women that I know who have been in AKAs who reached out to me this week, they clearly produce some incredible women. So hats off to Alpha Kappa Alpha and all the other black sororities amazing. Keep doing it. Keep putting those videos out because, because I'm here for it. And then, you know, I made this connection in the newsletter, but some people think of sororities as cults and I'm sure there are some, and there is like that cult like mentality of like, you know, everybody does stuff together and the seniors are the sort of controlling ones. And that's why hazing comes about because this sort of mob mentality comes about, but they're not cults generally speaking, but there is a documentary on HBO, but the only way to access it via Max app because the stupid fuckers over at Warner have screwed up their entire brand. But it's an HBO documentary and it is called Love Has Won, The Cult of Mother God. And let me tell you, I have watched all of the cult documentaries that they're there. And it's right now, there are a lot. They're the twin flames. They're, tw- they're twin flame documentaries around the same organization, but one is on Amazon and one is on Netflix. And I believe that Netflix one got more attention, which is unfair because they're both excellent and they're both coming at it from different perspectives, different people who participated in it. But that one was crazy. The twin flame ones. I'm sorry, this is a spoiler alert. If you don't want to hear about it, skip ahead. But the concept of twin flames is that everybody has their twin flame out there in the world. And this couple in the twin flames documentary have a cult. I don't remember what it's called. You go find a documentary, but it's this crazy couple. They've tried every sort of get rich quick scheme. They hit the jackpot with this. This guy thinks he's Jesus. He's found his twin flame and his wife and they create this sort of, you know, it's always about this this personal development skills and they create these course loads and people pay to have access. And with the promise, they're going to find their twin flames. The only problem in this particular organization is that more women signed up than men. And so they promised that they would find their twin flames, but only within the organization. So these people, these fucking cult leaders were able to convince a segment of their group that they needed to transition their gender in order to accommodate the twin flame connections that they have set forth that Jesus told them about. And you are seeing really intelligent, but obviously vulnerable people who literally went and got a sex change, got a sex change, never ever in their childhood or early adult life had they talked about being, you know, either gay or, or, wanting it to be a different gender, these people convince them. I mean, that is some crazy shit. Like somebody got their top surgery done, not because this was a lifelong dream, they didn't feel comfortable in their body, but because they were told to do so. 
they were told to do so. So that's crazy. But fast forward to the next little cult we have, it feels very 70s. Like I feel like there was a real there was a real drought in the cult world. Like we after like David Koresh, we haven't had a good cult in a while. And now it's like I don't know if it's the panty, the post panty mindset, the whole thing that everybody got fucked up, but we're in like, we're in deep cult state right now. So we have this mother God who is literally this like hottie patati girl who had three kids with three different husbands and was fat growing up. And it's always as a kid who is chubby telling you all of the most demented people were fat as kids. And they had insecurities, they got beat up and they were bullied and then they take revenge and they've... They've lost some of their minds. So this girl, this is classic. She got thin and became sort of sexy and hot and then became a narcissist and realized that she had a bigger calling and just like literally left her children, abandoned everybody, abandoned her family and they started doing a ton of hallucinogenics. So it comes down to starting with she was doing ecstasy and moved on to LSD and other hallucinogenic drugs and clearly doing so much that she believed that she was mother God. She was God. She's been reincarnated, I think 594 times or something. And she, I mean, listen, if I'm going to have an epiphany that I was reincarnated, you're not going to be like, I was Jane Smith from Madison, Wisconsin in 1950s. And I was Willie Mandel from Duluth in the twenties. You're going to pick some extraordinary people. Cause like, what's the point? And she sure did. She picked Jesus just like, let's start out of the gate. She's reincarnated Jesus. Joan of Arc, also one. I'd pick her. Yeah. I mean, terrible way to die, but, you know, reincarnated 592 times. You get to redo it over and over again. Also Marilyn Monroe, you know, Marilyn was Mother God. This is this woman has lived all of those lives. Um, she also, and the group, they have these angels. They're the, the sort of people that have passed on to the other side, but they are the sort of choir that has uh, sort of surrounded Mother God and are her angels who are speaking to her and telling her what to communicate to her following into the world. Because ultimately the followers believe they were the disciples, but that mother God is mother God. It's not just for them. She is here to save humanity. And the people who have passed on that are there whispering in mother God's ear are really terrific people. We have John Denver, really great. I'm so excited to see John Denver. Amy Winehouse, that was a good one. Uh, Robin Williams was the head guy, apparently. So Robin has has been directing uh, Mother God or had been directing Mother God. He was the conductor, if you will, of this orchestra. Another one who apparently had passed on and was one of their their leaders was Donald Trump, which is funny because... I don't think he's dead, unfortunately, but, um, sorry, that's terrible, but he's not, he's alive, but he was on their, their poster board of those angels, the choir, if you will. And these people seemingly normal people from normal lives, a lot of them got sucked in again through YouTube, 
and these live streams that they were doing, this is the danger of social media for fuck's sake. Um, and, and of, of the internet in general. And they got sucked into this whole belief system that they were heard, they were seen, they were vulnerable. And they also incorporate this twin flame language, which I just, I'd never heard of this term. And then all of a sudden there was like all these cults talking about it. And that just preys on people's loneliness. Like I need to find my partner. I need to not be alone in this world. I've been isolated. I have been, you know, really, really dark and and lonely and depressed. And I need to find the twin flame. And these people are promising that. This woman took fathers, like husbands, people called her mom. They call her mom. They still call her mom. She's dead. And they call her mom. Sorry, spoiler alert, but it's a big story. Everybody knows it. The documentary starts with the raid of the home where they are protecting mother who has died and is mummified in her duvet covers, covered in Christmas lights in her bed with her mummified body and her eyes taken out and their children in this house. And these are people who are really, you know, from some of them, some normal families, cause we hear from some of the family members and they've just like, you know, whether it was drugs, it was the impression of, of this group. Um, and of course there's money involved. Like the, one of the leaders was, you know, it was just about making money, 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 money. Mother God, while she was alive, never left her bed. Everybody sat in the room for hours and hours and hours on the floor and she lived in her bed. And, and these people still believe that she has gone to a a different place and is going to come back with like spaceships and lasers. And I don't fucking know. It's crazy. But she also died blue because she was one of these crazy people who is drinking that silveranium or whatever and saying that was the end all be all of all cures that was going to save you. There was a lot of that during the panty where, um, if you remember there was a guy who turned blue, like literally she turned blue. Um, and she died of like cirrhosis or something because she also was drinking like a bottle and a half of vodka a day. So then she had these people cooking for her. She freaked out over, she's like, I want chicken meatballs or something like that. Guys, I, I mean, that's only scratching the surface. You have to watch it. It's insane. And I think it's something there must, I, I do think that we are in this age of cults because there's so much access to people through the internet, through live streams, through YouTube, through social media. And this post pandemic brain is different. We're going to be studying this for years and years and years. That's my rant. Let's see if we have a guest next week. I can't make any promises, but my Mary makeout mute. So my makeout is, I I hate to say this because I made so much fun of it. I really did. I made so much fun of the Willy Wonka movie when the first trailer came out. It was a terrible trailer, but now I have become fascinated by Wonka. In fact, I'm going to see Wonka on Christmas. I've made that decision. And I have, I have forgiven Timothée Chalamet for all of his wrongs. There's, there's a few of them, but I want to make out with him because I, I love him still at the, at the end of the day. And I want to marry the Alpha Kappa Alpha whole organization. I mean, I'm sure they don't exclude white women because I think they're white women that go to Howard and Spelman. It's just, it's majority black, but I would just like to be with them. I want to learn how to 
be that disciplined and that in sync with my sisters because I I can't, there's no in sync with me and anybody. I dance to my own drummer, but I like that idea, like the marching band kind of concept and everybody in sync in their steps and their sways and their head tilts. And it's so good. So I want to marry them. I just think it would be fun. And we would be laughing all the time when we weren't disciplining ourselves in how to be organized and professional. And then I want to mute. So you know that Amy Robeck and TJ Holmes, I think this happened, I don't know, eight months ago or something. She was uh, maybe a year ago. They were on, I think, Good Morning America in 2020. And she was more known than him. They were like very close friends. And she was married to Andrew Shu, who is like obviously our god from Melrose Place. And they were adorable. And she battled breast cancer and did it very much in the public eye. And they're just an adorable couple. And then I did not know her this guy, TJ Holmes, because I don't watch morning television, but very handsome. They were really close. He has a, a wife who's beautiful. They got busted for having an affair and being in a relationship. They launched their podcast today, this week, and it is the most cringiest thing. So their marriages blew up. They're now claiming they didn't have affairs. Their marriages were over, but they got busted. They were colleagues. They got fired from their jobs. They're talking about on their podcast, how they hit rock bottom and they wanted to die. And in fact, she thought he had committed suicide. Like, I mean, it's cringe. Like we don't want to hear it, but what I, so I want to mute them. I want to mute her and him. However, there was a little bit of a shocker that came out after the initial press around their launch of their podcast and their transparency on their relationship. And this is no coincidence. The New York Post had the exclusive, hardy har har. But that is Andrew Shu, the ex-husband of Amy, and TJ's ex-wife are now a couple. They found each other. So they got cheated on and they ended up together because their shared trauma brought them together. And I am here for it. If you recall, this happened to Shania Twain as well. Shania Twain's husband was banging Shania's best friend. So Shania was like, see you later, mutt, his literal name, you dog. And she ended up with the best friend's husband and they've been together for like 15 years. So I'm here for it. That is revenge. That is vindictiveness on another level. And I support it. So I want to mute Amy and TJ and I want to put on, you know, volume 11, Andrew Shu and, um, and I'm sorry, I don't know the wife's name, but she's a private person. So not my place to say anyway. So there you go. That's pop culture Mondays on Thursdays this week. If you guys have any requests or questions or commentary, hit me up. I'm at Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E on Instagram. I mean, if you must find me on Twitter, X. I'm also at Brooke. You can find me on threads. You can, you can find me. I'm so easily findable. Just hit me up. Let me know your thoughts and I'll see you guys next week. Pop culture.